Sunday Showcase, highlighting some of the best audio storytelling found anywhere. All right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. How do I? I'll skip ahead a bit. No, I can't skip ahead. All, all right, everybody, into the time machine. No, 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 no! You don't understand how radio works. All I have to do to return this is fade my voice out like this and cue the organist. See, here we are. Wait a minute. 63 Audio presents the Old Time Radio Essentials Podcast. Greetings all who gather here and welcome to Season 4 of Old Time Radio Essentials. If this is your first time joining us, and even if it ain't, I must inform you that this is Episode 38, also known as our third episode of 2023, a.k.a. the Season 4 premiere. My name is Pete. I'm Paul. And this is Dave. And you know, folks... We spend most of our time right here in the Old Time Radio Workshop tempering and hand-shaping the finest 0.7-millimeter story brass into a topical acoustic body, then outfitting it with silver-plated keys without the high F-sharp, mind you, to produce for you the exquisitely warm-timbered yet balanced Selmer Mark VI alto saxophone that is our rotational pick for this program. But sometimes, just sometimes, folks, while fighting the raccoons for a bottle of fireball in a trailer park, we rip the side panel off an abandoned RV and roll it into a tube, then jam a used matchbook into the end as a reed so we can honk through the greasy hobo phone of entertainment that is our current selection. I saw that happen just the other day in a park here in Portland. You too? <laughs> that was Paul. That was Paul. I'll be darned. Damn raccoons. But not every time, that's for sure. Thank God. And so God. we come to you, our <laughs> listeners, to present specific right, episodes of certain old-time radio series. They might be episodes that stand out as particularly representative of those series, or they might be one of those quotable episodes that fans of old radio like to discuss, either in person or on social media. As you may have derived from our these earlier comments, to put it succinctly, we all take turns choosing a show for discussion. Cut it out, Dave. Last episode was my pick. <laughs> and that was an episode of Counter Spy entitled The Exploding Dog. In case oh, you missed it. And oh, now, Pete, <laughs> as befits our previous season premieres, it's your pick. And I'm guessing you're choosing some gem starring Orson Welles. So, hawk that greasy hobo phone and tell us. What do you have for us today, Sparky? I'll give you a hint, which you'll have to continue listening to figure out. One, two, woof, woof, hello, Max. One, two, woof, woof, hello, Max. (laughs) No, never mind. I'll tell you. For this episode, we have a double feature of The Fred Allen Show. That's two episodes of the show, each one with Orson as a guest star. The first is from 1942. The second from 1946. The Fred Allen Show was a weekly comedy series that enjoyed a 17-year run on radio from 1932 to 1949. (laughs) Now, during these years, they were sponsored by various companies, including Sal Hepatica, 
Tenderleaf Tea and Texaco. Now, Alan's show was most famous for its Alan's Alley segment, wherein Fred would stroll through an imaginary neighborhood, knocking on various doors and asking the question of the week. And he got answers from a hilarious array of characters, including Mrs. Nussbaum, uh, Titus Moody, and Falstaff Openshaw. Even more famous than Alan's Alley, however, was the mock feud between Alan and Jack Benny. Since their shows were on different nights and often a different network, the two comedians traded insults and listeners faithfully tuned in to both shows to hear what one of them said about the other and how the other responded. This lasted for several years and never failed to be funny. So now, without further delay, we present two episodes of The Fred Allen Show from October 18th, 1942 and March 3rd, 1946, both with guest star Mr. Orson Welles. And now, friends, adjust your radio dials to the proper frequency. Get comfortable and listen. <laughs> This is Fred Allen, fellows. When the war first started, the Army rounded up a lot of old actors and said, we want you hams to get some shows together. We're going to send you overseas to entertain the boys in service. Well, according to the good news we've been getting back home here recently, you fellows are going so fast, the actors can't possibly keep up with the troops. Now, you can't expect a lot of wind-broken old actors to keep up with you guys in jeeps. So I guess the only way I can overtake you boys is with a radio show. And that's what I have for you now. Our guest star is Orson Welles, who started out as a boy prodigy and lived up to it. We've got Benet Venuta, the famous Broadway singing star. We have Portland, the mighty Allen Art Players, and Al Goodman's Orchestra. The program opens with Irving Berlin's hit song, This is the Army, Mr. Jones. Partial tests by Reader's Digest, ladies and gentlemen. One radio comedian was found to contain less corn than all other leading radio comedians combined. And here he is, Fred Allen. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Meatless Day start this week. I received my first invitation to a Meatless Day banquet today. The invitation says, come over next Tuesday. I have a bone to pick with you. <laughs> pardon me, Fred, please, pardon me. Uh, yes, Arthur? I'm still worried about this announcing job. How am I doing? Well, you're doing very well, Arthur. Why, you're booming those commercials out as though you were weaned on thunder, old boy. <laughs> There's only one thing. I have a short coming. Well, there's one thing you don't seem to have grasped, Arthur. You know, on all of the comedy programs, the announcer is supposed to laugh at the comedian. You see, you haven't observed that. I you mean I have to laugh at you? Well, yes, all of the announcers have to laugh. Did you hear the Bob Hope show by any chance last Tuesday night? You didn't hear that gag where Hope and Betty Davis were talking about famous movie stars, and Bob said, I'm a big name, and Betty said, and I know what it is, but let's be friends. <laughs> 
Well, you should have heard Hope's announcer, Wendell Niles, get hysterical at that show. No kidding. Did you hear Jack Benny's show tonight? Uh-uh. What that underpaid Don Wilson had to laugh at tonight. <laughs> and go to Arizona to do it yet. <laughs> Why, that one gag, did you hear when Benny said he sat on a cactus out there around Phoenix? And, and not Phoenix, is Benny, I mean, but he sat on a... <laughs> Benny said... Benny said he sat on a cactus, and Mary said he had to take his trousers off with tweezers later in the afternoon. Well, Don Wilson laughed at that, Arthur. Oh, poor Don. How are you? Say, tell me, how are you uh, on laughing? <laughs> That's all I wanted to know, Arthur. You just keep laughing, and I'll turn to the latest news of the week. The March of Trivia presents its weekly lowlight from the world of news. Washington, D.C. Newspapers United Scrap Metal Committee starts a survey to determine which American city contributed the highest per capita quota to nationwide scrap drives. Five New York boroughs check on their salvage drives completed during the past week. A man who refuses to give his name from Queens reports... Uh, the tavern where I hang out donated its brass rail for the metal drive. The brass rail? Has the loss of the brass rail bothered you any? After 20 years, I find that my right leg is six inches shorter than my left. <laughs> A lady from Brooklyn reports... I put my husband out in front of the house. The metal drive took him away. <laughs> The metal drive took your husband? Yeah, he had iron in his blood. <laughs> a gentleman from the Bowery says... I give all the metal I had. What business are you in, sir? Well, lately I've been making a fair living, hitting guys over the head with a piece of lead pipe. And you, uh... I turned in me piece of lead pipe to the drive. Good, and you're going straight now? I ain't hitting guys with no metal no more. Fine. I'm using a rock. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you're leaving a good impression, and I, uh, I think that cleans up. <laughs> I think that cleans up the metal meta matters that we had in mind for this evening. Would you think me rude if I intrude? Not even if you had intruded sooner, I shouldn't have thought you would. Falstaff Openshaw. The Tulsa Tennyson at your service. You and the muse have done it again, Falstaff. Have you heard, said the mouse to the grouse... This is on the house? No. Believe me, Buxom Julia, I wouldn't try to fool you. No. <laughs> no. Put in your false teeth, mother, and leave me with a smile. Now. Tonight it may surprise you to learn that we have briefly discussed the scrap drive, ever so briefly. Precisely why I am here. I have written a poem. Well, what is your salvage monstrosity called? We've got to show our metal. How does it go? We've got to show our metal if we want to down the axis. We've got to give our tin and brass as well as paying taxes. Our pots and pans make guns and tanks. Old skates and streetcar rails, basins, bed springs also help. And bumpers, junk, and nails. Skid chains, bathtubs, kitchen sinks, kettles, tools, and bells. These and all your other scraps make bullets, bombs, and shells. Yes, we've got to show our metal, so make sure your scrap is sped out. If you haven't turned your salvage in, brother, get that lead out. Thank you. <laughs> Our singing guest, the charming lady, one of the stars in the hit show by Jupiter, meet Miss Benet Venuta. 
Welcome to our little psychopathic circle, Benet. What are you going to sing for us tonight? I'd like to do my favorite song from the show, Everything I've Got Belongs to You. Mr. Goodman, if you will. I have eyes for you to give you dirty looks. I have words that do not come from children's books. There's a trick with the knife I'm learning to do. And everything I've got belongs to you. I have a powerful anesthesia in my fist. And the perfect wrist to give your neck a twist. There are hammerlock holes I've mastered a few. And everything I've got belongs to you. Share for share, share alike. You get struck each time I strike. You for me, me for me. I'll give you plenty of nothing. I'm not yours for better, but for worse. And I've learned to give the well-known witches first. I have a terrible tongue, a temper for two. And everything I've got belongs to you. Don't stamp your foot at me, that's impolite. To stamp your foot at me is not quite right. All I discover is you're not so fine. I fear my lover is a swine. I have eyes for you to give you dirty looks. I have words that do not come from children's books. There's a trick with the knife I'm learning to do. And everything I've got belongs to you. Therefore, share, share a You get struck each time I strike. You for me, me for me. I'll give you plenty of nothing. I'm not yours for better, but for worse. And I've learned to give the well-known witch's curse. I've a terrible tongue, a temper for two. And everything I've got belongs, everything I've got belongs, everything I've got belongs to you. And now I'll guess Wogs, wags, or cogs for what? Well, the Coast Guard is going to have a contest to find a name for a swimming reserve. Oh, well, how about a cross between uh, co-ed and admiral? Co-ed, something like that. That's mm-hmm. any good? But I think coastess would be better. Coastess, huh? Now, if you could help me. Oh, no, look, I can't worry about the Coast Guard girls now, Portland. I have trouble enough around here. Well, who is your guest? That is my trouble. My guest <laughs> is my trouble tonight. I have a telegram here from Orson Welles. He's coming here this evening. Orson Welles? Well, that's the way I feel about it, too. <laughs> what he wants to see me about... That's Orson Welles! Wait, Portman. Control yourself, please. Come in. Yes? Is this the microphone Mr. Wells is going to use? Well, yes. Step is... aside, buddy. One, two, three, wolf, wolf, hello, Max. One, two, three, wolf, wolf, hello, Max. Just a minute, friend. What is this? I'm Mr. Wilder's personal chief technician. Oh, you're here to check Right. The... This microphone may be all right for a schnook like you. 
It's got to be perfect. One, two, three, one, four, follow me. One, two, three. Oh, it's okay. Fine, fine. Now, if you're... If you're Wait still... a minute. What's these scratches on the microphone? Well, uh, I tell you, our announcer, Arthur Godfrey, has buck teeth, and he... <laughs> The wells don't notice it. Well, do you think I should spray the microphone with perfume? Wouldn't hurt none, brother. And throw it on yourself, too. Austin Wells. Special technicians he has to have to go on the air. All the president needs is two logs and a boy scout. <laughs> Even for what? I had nothing to do with Citizen Kane. <laughs> Orson Wells! Oh! Portland, Portland, quiet, please. Come in. Excuse me, I can't see a minute. Hello out there. Hello out there. Hello out there. Look, quiet, brother. please. Hello out there. What is this? I am Mr. Wells' personal acoustical diagnostician. <laughs> I'm testing the acoustics. Oh, you're testing the acoustics. Yes, if Mr. Wells doesn't like the acoustics in here, you may have to tear down part of the studio. Yes. Goodbye out there. We should wreck the building for Mr. Wells, yes. Now stop trembling, Portland. I'm scared. Maybe Mr. Wells is going to beat you up for those jokes you told about him. Beat who up? I have never seen a genius yet with muscles. Now If Mr. Wells thinks that he's going to... Oh, now what? Now, wait, just a please. Just... What is with this sniffing, mister? Who who are you? I'm Mr. Wells' personal physician. I'm checking the air in here to see if it's fit for Mr. Wells to breathe. Well, every, everybody else in here is breathing the air. Mr. Wells is a great artist. He's a very sensitive man. Oh, sensitive? Yes. Well, he was on Jack Benny's program last spring, wasn't he? And if he can stand that, he can stand anything. <laughs> Mr. Wells had a cold that night. Goodbye. Mr. Wells sure doesn't take any chances, does he? Boy, I wish I knew what he wanted to see me about. I'm getting nervous myself hanging around here, all these people. Hey, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, you fellas. Mr. Wells is stepping out of his car. Roll that red plush up to the microphone, boys. Mr. Wells is entering the building. Hit those spotlights like that incense. Mr. Wells is here. The pants Sam. Presenting... Good evening, Mr. Wells. Excuse me. One, two, three. Four, four. Hello, Mac. The, uh, the microphone has been tested, Mr. Wells. Good. Hello out there. Hello out there. The, uh, the acoustics have been checked, Mr. Wells. Good. The, uh, the, <laughs> the, air, the air has been improved. Very good. I'm a, I'm a busy man. Well, I know how. I'm uh, very happy to be here on the Philip Morris program this evening. <laughs> 
That was Friday night. Oh, yes. What night is this? Sunday. Oh, yes. This is the Texaco Star Theater. My name is Allen. Fred Allen? Yes. Now, how do you do, Mr. Allen? Mr. Wells, I'm thrilled. Naturally. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'll come to the point, Mr. Allen. Last year on your program, you said several derogatory things about me. Oh, I say, uh, you, uh, you, uh, you haven't met Portland yet, have you, Mr. Wells? She's dying to meet you. Portland? Yes? Portland, this is Austin Wells. Hello, Portland. What's the matter with that child? Is that a shriek? No, it wasn't a shriek. She has asthma. It's pitched a little high. Okay, well, let's get down to business, Mr. Allen. About those derogatory remarks. Well, I don't... Do you remember re- what you said about my home in Hollywood? No, I, I don't recall. Perhaps I can refresh your memory. You were talking about those trick doorbells they have out in Hollywood. Oh, those fancy chimes effects. Yes. You said when a person rang my doorbell, 16 peacocks flew out of the transom, 21 guns went off in a salute, and I came out of four doors simultaneously. <laughs> At that time, you were discussing Hollywood Victory Gardens. What was it you said? Well, I just said that all you did was go out to your backyard, point to the ground and say, Grow, and 14 acres of corn sprang up. Well, that was last year. I'm I'm here to speak to you about this year. Mr. Wells, believe me, I haven't made a single crack about you this year. What's the matter, Fred? Don't you like me anymore? You're not mad, Austin? Not at all, Fred. I enjoy a good laugh. <laughs> as well as anybody. Well, Austin. <laughs> We're all alone. This, uh, <laughs> this is a great surprise to me. Why, Fred? Well, I always pictured you as a man from another planet. A genius, a legend in the making. And here you are, joking and laughing with little old egg-laying me. <laughs> Fred, I, I wish somebody would do something about this Superman myth the public has swallowed about me. It's embarrassing. After all, I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm paid well, to... I know. Uh, you're paid to say that. <laughs> Thank you. I know. I know, Austin, but your early life has been shrouded in mystery. Now, if people were only told something about your childhood... Well, what's there to tell, Fred? I was born in Chicago. Like any other kid, I went through grammar school. Age of five, I entered Northwestern University. <laughs> At five, you entered college? As a sophomore, I skipped the freshman year. (laughs) My college days were uneventful. I majored in Esperanto. I belonged to the Glee Club, and at fight nights, I used to sing duets with myself. You, uh, you sang duets all alone? Yes, yes. I forgot to mention it. Until I was 12, I had two heads. Uh (laughs) Two heads? I was like thousands of other kiddies running around Chicago in those days. <laughs> well, I got out of college at seven. Magna cum laude. I uh, hang or hung around Einstein a while, and we tipped one day over a bit of calculus, and I rejected Einstein's theory and went into the theater. And the rest, of course, is history. Oh, it's been nothing, Fred. I've had a little success with theater, radio, and pictures. Does that mean I'm a genius? I wear the same clothes as other men. I eat the same food. Like any ordinary guy who works hard, my feet hurt at the end of the day. Well, no wonder trying to squeeze 14 toes in an ordinary pair of shoes. (laughs) But uh, tell me, Austin, are you back from Hollywood to do a play? No, Fred, I'm going back into radio for the Lockheed Company. That's really why I wanted to talk to you tonight. Oh, about your uh, new program? Yes, I want you to appear with me in my first play. Me? Awesome, Gad. This is an honor, man. 
What is your... <laughs> what is your first play? We'll do Victor Hugo's great story, Les Miserables. You will co-star with me. Just you and I do the entire play? Yes, it will be 50-50. I'll play Jean Valjean. And I? You will play the French detective Javert. Javert, eh? Je suis Zillor. Oh, uh, you speak French, Fred? Just enough to get out of Rumpelmayer's Austin. Just enough to get out. Well, that'll help a lot. Now, if we can rehearse a minute, we'll run over the play here before I go. All right. We'll present our co-starring epic lay, Miserables, immediately following a short selection by Mr. Goodman. Allen and Wells. Gosh. Or, uh, Wells and Allen. <laughs> and I present our dramatic highlight of the evening. Are you, uh, are you ready, Orson? Yes, Fred, you have your part. Yes, I, uh, frankly, I must confess I'm a little nervous. You'll be all right, Fred. You're with me in every scene. We're, uh, co-star. Oh, yes, everything's 50-50. Well, how does the play start? I do the narration. Oh, Fred. I see. Hey, Mr. Arp, Victor Hugo's immortal story of a soul transfigured of redeemed through suffering. This is an Orson Welles production. Radio version of Les Miserables prepared by... Orson Welles. Directed by... Orson Welles. Starring Orson Welles. During Orson Welles' presentation of Les Miserables, Mr. Welles will be assisted by that sterling dramatic actor of stage, screen, and radio. Now, wait a minute. Hold it. Wait a minute. Something wrong, Fred? Well, all I've heard so far is Orson Welles. Now, after all, if I am co-starring with you, at least my name should be mentioned here. Well, I announced you, Fred. The music cut in too quickly. Well, now, watch that, Mr. Goodman. You're over-anxious tonight. <laughs> I'm in this play, too, don't forget. I'm, I happen to be the co-star tonight. I wish you wouldn't be so impulsive, Fred. Les Miserables is the story of two men. 
Jean Valjean, the hunted convict, and Javert, the merciless detective. I'm Javert, and you are Jean Valjean. That's right. Each character is equally important to the story. It's 50 50. 50 All right. Let's now, the go. first scene is a dingy garret in the slums of Paris. As the story opens, I am hiding out. I think I've escaped you. As we first see Jean Valjean, he is soliloquizing. <laughs> At last, Jean Valjean, you are safe. There is no cause to fear. It is Javert who has hounded you so long. Javert, your nemesis, that merciless bloodhound, always in pursuit of you, is finally thrown off the track, completely baffled. (laughs) Oh, hark. Sound upon the stairs. Footsteps. Those same plodding footsteps. Javert. What has to be done? Ah, this window. Jean Valjean will never be taken. Goodbye, Javert! Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, no, no, no. Listen, that's a lot. Wait a minute now. Wait a minute now. Later, Fred, later. We, we start the second scene now. We? We? Never mind the second scene. What about that first scene? It was 50-50. But you took both 50s in the... <laughs> Ridiculous, Fred. What stole the entire scene? Well, what? Well, it was that knock on the door. And who knocked on that door? Javert. Javert. I play Javert. You motivate the entire story. If you hadn't knocked at the door, I'd still be in that garret. We'd have no play. Oh, I didn't realize. In the second scene, you dominate the whole thing. I'm just a foil. Oh, a foil. Well, that sounds good. What is the second scene? Six years later. Uh This time, you, Javert, have me trapped. Cosette Aubartou, a demi-monde, is concealing me in the back room of a bistro. I, Jean Valjean, am pacing up and down. Jean, will you stop pacing? Toujours up and down. This is the end, Cosette. Me farewell to freedom. Instead of liberty waits the galley crew, the iron collar, the chaynessy feet, the teeth, the dungeon, the plank beds, all the horrors I know so well. To submit morning and evening to the hammer of the roundsman who tests the feathers. Time is short. The net is tightening. <laughs> Javert. Quick, Jean Valjean, through this trap door. Merci, Cosette. Jean Valjean will never be taken again. Au revoir, Javert. Oh, look, oh. Now oh, you're over. Hold it now. You're overdoing it. Rest. Fred, you are magnificent. You I stole that scene right from out from under my nose. I stole the scene again? Yes. That, that, that's suspense, man. With suspense, all I I've did. seen Javert played a hundred times. The theater guild at Grand Guignol. Eddie Dowling has played Javert. But I've never heard of Javert get the tone out of that police whistle. But you got the Look, Austin, I don't want to hog the whole thing. But in two acts, all I've done so far is knock on a door and blow a whistle. Now, after all, I'm an actor. I'm not a sound man. When do I get to read some lines? The next scene is all yours, Fred. Oh, good. Your speech is the climax of the entire play. Well, now we're getting someplace. What's next? On this final scene, you trail me through the sewers of Paris. Oh, the sewers. You finally corner me single-handed, and now we stand face to face. I have just a few words, and then you speak. I speak. Well, that sounds good. Let's go. Mondu, alone in the sewer. Wrapped like a rat, who nightly crawls through the hideous muck of the city. 
The gloomy darkness, this narrow archway above me head, these two slimy corridor walls. <laughs> oh! But hark, that sloshing through the muck. Javert! At last you cornered me, Javert. Don't talk, Javert! Before you seal my doom, I would speak for the last time. You will never take Chauvel to our lives, Javert. <laughs> the water in the sewer is rising, Javert. I am six feet nine. You, Javert, are five feet two. The water rises, Javert. There is no turning back. The water, higher, higher. Now, Javert, you have Chauvel to your mercy. Pronounce my doom. Speak, Javert. Speak. Well, I, I guess that concludes our meeting for this time, boys. I hope you liked the program, and I hope you'll be hearing from me again real soon. This is Fred Allen saying goodbye and good luck. This program was produced by the Special Service Division of the War Department of the United States of America. The Fred Allen Show with Fred's guest, Orson Welles. Portland Hopper, Minerva Pires as Mrs. Nussbaum, Alan Reed as Falstaff Openshaw, Parker Fenley as Titus Moody, the DeMarco Sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And until I show up as Senator Craghorn, my name is Kenny Delmar. This week, ladies and gentlemen, a new book, The Way to Vocabulary, Power, and Culture, was published. We bring you now the new literary lion, whose name appears twice in this work. He's Fred Allen. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm laughing already at last week's show. Now, thank you. Thank you, and good evening, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And Kenny, I'm, I'm really happy that you mentioned Dr. Funk's new tome, The Way to Vocabulary, Power, and Culture. You know, I am now a part-time intellectual. If you ever pass Brentano's, look up. I may be in the window. <laughs> well, have you, uh, have you noticed any difference since your name was mentioned in Dr. Funk's book? Well, yes, Kenny. I'm the talk of the literary set in subdued voices for the non. Uh, on, on Fifth Avenue yesterday, Elsa uh, Maxwell blew me a kiss. Elsa blew you a kiss? Yes, yeah, she was a little short-winded. It fell in the gutter, but I... Uh, <laughs> you know, you should expand your vocabulary, Kenny. Get hep to words like pestilated. Pestilated. Uh, what does it mean? Well, thanks to Dr. Funk, I am now in a position to tell you, Kenny. Pestilated means adorned with mosaics. Oh. Uh, what does mosaic mean? Kenny, don't press your luck. I'm only, up, I'm only up to page 12 myself. When I get up to the mosaics, you'll hear from me by phone. Don't let me go on. Mr. I mean... Allen! Let me stand there reading punctuation. What is new? What, what's new, Portland? Mama said your name.
name is in Dr. Funk's new vocabulary book. That is correct. And I would like to add at this time that Mr. Jack Benny's name does not appear in the book. Hasn't Jack Two people alive? from Waukegan, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, the bra- uh, weather's breaking. Hitchhikers are out again. <laughs> Jack, a large vocabulary, two words he uses on his program. Yike and hmm. <laughs> you know, Benny takes spelling lessons from Red Skelton. I think Jack is pretty smart. Smart? He's always teaching Phil Harris new words. Phil Harris? Phil Harris is the moron's messiah. <laughs> and he is still smarter than Mr. Benny. You know, when Benny finished grammar school, he was so old, instead of a diploma, they gave him a pension. Mama said you were the only kid in kindergarten with five o'clock shadow. <laughs> well, look, when Benny went to school, he had to have a tutor to get through recess. <laughs> the longest word Mr. Benny knows, you can get out of a no-bow player's mouth sideways. Big words. Have you ever heard the word tessellated? Yes. Tessellated means to be adorned with mosaic. Who asked you what it meant? <laughs> Do you want to know what mosaic means? Never mind, never mind. You're reading the book from the back. I can see that. <laughs> well, touche, and I don't mean that hand lotion, Portland. And speaking of hand lotions, we have a date with a couple of chaps in Allen's Alley. What is your question tonight? Have you heard about the chicken surplus? And if you have, are you eating more chicken to help reduce it? Shall we go? As the saw in the sawmill said to the knothole, I think I'll buzz along. Ah, it's good to get back to Allen's Alley, Portland. Well, I guess the senator's just finished dinner. There's a big catfish head on the lawn. See the flies? <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's knock. Somebody, I say, somebody knock. Yes, I Claghorn's the name, Senator Claghorn, that is. You're from the South. When I play bridge, I never spit knock. Now, wait a minute. This <laughs> man who knows Senator's best, it's Claghorn six and seven eighths to three. Now, look, look. I shot a robin this morning. You shot a robin? I caught the little feathered traitor flying back from the South. Oh, <laughs> Tell me, Senator, are you doing, personally, are you doing anything about this chicken surplus? I'm eating chicken every day. Good. I have my own recipe, chicken a la claghorn. Chicken a la claghorn. How do you prepare your fowl, Senator? First, I soak my chicken overnight in Kentucky bourbon. Uh-huh. Hard <laughs> for me to go on here now. <laughs> then I boil it in Louisiana corn. Yes. Then I baste it with Mississippi mint julep. Yes. Then I leave it in the skillet over a slow fire for two days. And the chicken's ready? I don't bother with the chicken. No? When I get through lapping up that gravy... Yes? I'm southern fried. So... <laughs> well, the senator certainly knows his uh, culinary uh, stuff. Well, let's see if Mr. Moody is in. Howdy, Bob. <laughs> you look a little tired, Mr. Moody. Yeah, I had to shut up all night in the pig pen. Oh, really? One of my pigs had tomain. Oh. Well, how could a pig get tomain? I don't know. Must have had a piece of tainted swill or something. <laughs> oh. Oh, is something wrong? Yeah, I got the rheumatism in both arms. 
Just got a crick. Oh, that's too bad. Well, doesn't the rheumatism bother you working? Just milking. I can't move moms. Well, how do you milk? Well, first I sit on the stool. Yes? I get a good grip. I see. Then I just hold on. And? The cow jumps up and down. <laughs> well, tell me, Mr. Moody, what about this chicken surplus? Oh, there's only one way to stop a chicken surplus. Nip it in the nest. Nip it in the nest. You mean... Stop the hens from setting, from having more chicken. Well, how? Do what I done last week. What? Well, I put a dozen Chinese eggs in one nest. China eggs? And what happened? That hen hatched out the prettiest set of demitassi cups I ever seen. So long, man. Well, I've never heard of a hen and her cups before. Oh, well, that's, uh... Let's try this next door. No. Not Mrs. Nussbaum. You are expecting maybe Ronald Goldman? Huh? <laughs> Tell me, Mrs. Nussbaum, are you doing your bit to help reduce the chicken surplus? I'm sending to Washington a slogan. Oh, what is your slogan? The war is over. We're through with bullets. Now is the time. Start cooking pullets. Very good. <laughs> Excellent. Are you, uh, uh, beside the slogan, are you using poultry at home? For every meal in my house, I'm saving chicken. No kidding. For breakfast, I'm making Wheaties. Uh-huh. Concealed in the Wheaties is chicken gizzards. Chicken gizzards. You have coffee, too? Oh, instead of coffee, I'm serving piping hot a cup of chicken fat. Oh, yum, yum. For lunch, I'm cooking chicken Chinese style. Chinese chicken? This is egg for young. Uh-huh. Instead of the foo, I'm putting in chicken giblets. Oh, instead of the foo. Well, that should improve the taste. And you serve it uh, Chinese style with chopsticks? No, with drumsticks. Oh, with drumsticks. What is for dinner? Roast chicken stuff. Stuff, huh? Inside the roast chicken is a boiled chicken. Oh. <laughs> After dinner is coming chicken coffee. Well, what is chicken coffee? Instead of sugar, uh-huh. in the coffee I'm dropping two lumps of white meat. <laughs> well, chicken three times a day, isn't your husband complaining? Complaining? Pierre is wanting even more chicken. Well, how do you know? Yesterday, I'm catching him with two blondes. Oh. Well, here we are at the end of Allen's Alley. What can happen at this last shanty? Hi, ho, all. It isn't Rudy Valley. It's the poet laureate of Allen's Alley. Ah, ah, open Tonight, we are discussing... Tonight, we are discussing the chicken surplus. I know. I have prepared a poem. And what is your chicken surplus quatrain called? In rebuttal. In rebuttal. How does it go? The rooster flew to the henhouse roof and crowed to the world at large his message conceived in rebuttal to the chicken surplus charge. We give up our lives, crowed the rooster, and I speak for each chicken and hen who has died and been fried through the ages to grace the tables of men. Today, you proclaim there's a surplus. Yet to death, you continue to doom us. Your cold storage warehouses glutted with fowl and none, none to consume us. The real reason there's a surplus of poultry is the population has shrunk in New York. So don't go around blaming us chickens. Go take it up for the stock. Thank you, Paul Staff. And now from the foul Paul to roll Paul Staff, we turn with pleasure to the Chickory Chick Choir, the five DeMarco sisters, accompanied by Maestro Al Goodman and his surplus symphonist, the DeMarco sings Atlanta G.A. I love the morning glory growing, the breeze is softly blowing in Atlanta, GA. 
to get busy. Our guest tonight is Orson Welles. Is the gold mesh carpet ready? The gold carpet is ready? Yeah. The man from Tiffany's brought the jade microphone. The jade microphone. I told him the turquoise microphone. <laughs> yes. Yes. The preparation we have to make for Orson. Did you rehearse the Orson Welles fanfare? Oh, gosh, I forgot. Mr. Goodman, with that special Orson Welles fanfare, have your men chew on a little sensen before they blow their trumpets. <laughs> Mr. Wells likes to smell something as he comes on. In fact, I would... Hey, this must be awesome now. Mr. Goodman, the fanfare, please. You're not Orson Welles. No, no, I'm Mr. Wells' personal psychiatrist. Yes? I'm afraid Mr. Wells cannot appear on your program tonight. Can't appear? No, Mr. Wells is suffering from a complete breakdown of personality. But, Doctor, you are a doctor. In, uh, some states, yes. 
Doctor, you mean the great Orson Welles, the brash, impetuous exhibitionist? Today he is a cringing, beaten lotos. Oh, what happened? It was that role he played in his new picture, Tomorrow is Forever. Yes? He appeared as Eric Kessler, a frustrated elderly Dutchman. Yes? It took eight months to make the picture. For eight months, Mr. Wells lived as Eric Kessler. Uh Uh-huh. He still thinks he's Kessler. Eric Kessler. He has Kessler's Dutch dialect. He has Kessler's inferiority complex. Orson Welles with an inferiority complex? (laughs) I can't believe it, Doctor. You must help him, Mr. Allen. I have Mr. Wells in a rest home on 52nd Street. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Doctor... Doctors Leon and Eddie's the place I've seen. What can I... uh... If you can induce Mr. Wells to face an audience again, he might conquer his phobia. I shall do it. Let's go to the rest home, Doctor. This is Mr. Wells' room. But there's no one in here, Doctor. Quiet. Mr. Wells is hiding in the closet again. Be careful, Mr. Allen. If you upset him, this Kessler complex returns. He starts talking Dutch. Good luck, Mr. Allen. Thank you, Doctor. Yeah, a pitiful case. Orson Wells hiding in a closet. Orson! Orson! Come out of the closet, Orson! Nobody will hurt you. Come out, Orson! Ah, the door is opening. Yes, please? Orson Welles. Orson, you remember me, Fred Allen? Was you ever in Cincinnati? <laughs> Look, Orson. Excuse me, the name is Eric. Eric Kessler. But, Orson, I'm your old friend. Was you ever in Cincinnati? <laughs> And you must snap out of it. Oh, everything is so confused. Think hard. Back in the dim, hazy past, you knew a man named Orson Welles. Orson Welles. Think. Think. Orson Welles. I seem to recall. Orson Welles used to walk down Fifth Avenue with a marmot set riding his arm side saddle. Uh-huh. A fawn prancing by his side and 20 giant butterflies on silken leashes flew ahead, spelling out the name Orson. <laughs> I saw Orson Welles one day carrying a cane. It was the hind leg of a gazelle. (laughs) Orson used to strut into the automat, stand in front of those little windows and say, Open. Every single window would fly open. Well, listen, Mr. Kessler, that man with the 20 butterflies and the hind leg of the gazelle was you. You were Orson Welles. You're still Orson Welles, star of stage, screen, and radio. Fred. Yes? You left our television. Ah! the old Orson, the old blowhard coming back. You mean, you mean I'm, I'm not Kessler, the weakling? I am Orson Welles, the blowhard? Yes. You have got to convince yourself. Say to yourself, I am Orson Welles. I am Orson Welles. Good, good. Say it again. I am the great Orson Welles. I am the great Orson Welles. Let it ring out. I am the great Orson Welles. You're cured. The old power, the old ego. The old ham is back. <laughs> now you know who you are. I am Eric Kessler. Austin. Were you ever in Cincinnati? Austin, you're slipping. Austin. Oh, it's no use, Fred. It's nice of you to try and help, but now if you'll excuse me, 
I'll go back into my little old closet. Now, Austin, we we can conquer this complex. If you give one performance in public, your past would return. A long time ago, we did a play together, remember? Oh, yes, it was Les Miserables. Let's do it again. Oh, Fred, I'm frightened. Buck up, Austin. All right, if you insist, I'll do the play on one condition. Yes, Austin. You must be the star. You must do all the acting. All the acting, Just let me appear for a second, no more. Good. (laughs) If you only speak one line, it will bolster your courage. Now, as we start, you can announce the play. Fred, it means mentioning my own name. I'm afraid. Steal yourself. You must conquer this inferiority complex. You can do it, Orson. Music, Mr. Goodman. Hey, Mr. Rob. Is that all right? Can I go ahead? All right, go ahead, Orson. Victor Hugo's immortal story of a soul transfigured and redeemed through suffering. This is an Orson Welles production. Radio version of Les Miserables prepared by... Orson Welles. Directed by... Orson Welles. Starring... <laughs> Orson Welles. Orson Welles will be assisted by... Hold it, now, hold it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Fred, did you hear I said my name? I said my name. And you said it plenty, too. <laughs> what about my name? Well, I announced you, Fred. The music cut in too quickly. Now, watch that music, Mr. Goodman. <laughs> Austin, you said you wanted me to be the star of the play. Now, if you're going to take all the credit... Austin. Austin. Were you ever in Cincinnati? Yeah, he's slipping again. I am Eric No, no, you are Austin Wells. That's right, I am, I am. I'm Austin Wells. Well, what happened? You raised your voice to me, Fred. Remember my condition. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, let's start the play. The play, the play, what play? Play Miserable, you oh, remember? Yes. yes, I am Jean Valjean, the hunted convict. Yes. You are Javert, the detective, that merciless minion of the law, always on my trail. Yes. You do all the acting. All the acting, yes. I'm the star. Yes. You just come on for a second. That's right. Fine, let's go. The first scene is a dingy garret in the slums of Paris. Uh-huh. The story opens, I, Jean Valjean, am hiding out. I think I have escaped you. Uh-huh. We first see Jean Valjean, he is... At last, Jean Valjean, you are safe. There is no cause to fear this Javert who has hounded you so long. Javert, your nemesis, that merciless bloodhound, always in pursuit of you, has finally thrown off the track, completely baffled. (laughs) But hark, that sound upon the stairs, footsteps, those same plodding footsteps. Uh Javert. What is to be done? Ah, this window. Jean Valjean will never be taken. Goodbye, Javert! Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. Stop the music, Mr. Goodman. Fred, did you hear that? That was I, I, the old Orson Welles. I'm not afraid anymore. No. Now I'm starting to get a little frightened. Now, look, Orson. Later, Fred. Now we start the second scene. Never mind the second scene. What about the first scene? Oh, it was wonderful, Fred. I'm getting that old feeling again. And I'm getting that old business again. (laughs) Orson, you said I was going to be the star. But you are the star, Fred. What stole that whole scene? What? It was that knock on the door. And who knocked on that door? Javert. Never mind Javert. Well, you motivate the entire story. If you hadn't knocked at that door, I'd still be in the garret. We'd have no plan. Now, don't give me that. I'm supposed to do all the acting. I haven't even had one line. Well, you ever invented that? Take it easy, Orson. 
watch that, Fred. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I will. Well, what, uh, what happens now? Well, in the second scene, you dominate the whole thing. I am just the stooge. The stooge. Well, that's more like it. What is the second scene? Well, it's years later. This time, you, Javert, have me trapped. Cosette Fabantou, a demimonde, is concealing me in the back room of a bistro. I, Jean Valjean, am pacing up and down. <laughs> Hey, so sure up and down. This is the end, Cosette, my farewell to freedom. Instead of liberty, waits the galley crew, the iron collar, the chain is before the dungeon, the plank beds, all the horrors I know so well. To submit morning and evening to the hammer of the roundsman who tests the feathers. Time is short, the net is tightening. <laughs> Javert. Quick, Jean Valjean, through the trap door. Merci, Cosette. Jean Valjean will never be taken again. Au revoir. Now hold it, hold it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Stop the music. Now look. Now look, Austin. You were magnificent. Never mind that. You stole that scene right out from under my nose. Now look, let me tell you. Yeah, that's, that's suspense, man. Austin, please. I, I've seen Javert played a hundred times. The Theater Guild, Moscow Art Theater, at Grossinger's. Van <laughs> Johnson has played Javert. But I've never heard of Javert get the tone out of that police whistle that you got tonight. Now, look, I don't mind playing the schnook to help restore your ego. But now my ego is going. In two acts, all I've done is knock on a door and blow a whistle. For sure. All right, all right, all right, all right. The next, uh, go ahead with the play. The next scene is all yours, Fred. You start to say, you trail me through the sewers of Paris. Uh -huh. You finally corner me single-handed. And there we stand, face to face. I just have a few words, and then you speak. I finally speak. Well, it's about time. Let's go. Mondu, hell situation. Alone in this sewer. Wrapped like a rat. The gloomy darkness. This narrow archway above the heads. These two slimy corridor walls. The buck. That's sloshing through the buck. At last you cornered me, Javert. Don't talk, Javert. Before you seal my doom, I would speak for the last time. You will never take Jean Valjean alive, Javert. <laughs> the water in this sewer is rising. I am six feet nine. You, Javert, are four feet two. The water rises. No, no, not yet, Javert. Don't speak. The water. Higher, higher, higher. Now, Javert, you have Jean Valjean at your mercy. Pronounce my doom. Now, Javert, speak. Speak!
many dreams I dreamed about you. Oh, yes, how empty without you. So kiss me once, then kiss me twice, then kiss me once again. It's been a long, long time. It's been a long time. We're back with Old Time Radio Essentials. This is Paul with Dave and Pete. And that was a double feature of the Fred Allen Show from 1942 and 1946. Both originally broadcast on NBC. And now, Pete, since it was your pick this time, (laughs) tell us why don't you, why you chose these particular episodes. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Not only do we have the tradition of, of bringing Orson Welles in at the beginning of every season. Um, we also have the tradition of finding something new that we haven't featured yet. So there is that double challenge of Orson Welles new series. So we have not covered the Fred Allen show before. So I thought what better way to introduce it than having it uh, as a double feature. So he, as far as I know, guest starred at least twice and in both of them, of course, he they did the um, the Les Miserables Les spoof, and <laughs> it was pretty much the same both times. <laughs> but what I love about the first one is that it, Orson is at the height of his wonderkind uh, uh, persona, where he's the boy wonder, and everybody's making a big fuss about him. So you've got all of these people coming in and they're, they're Orson Welles's uh, microphone tester and he the, the guy who comes in and tests the air <laughs> and all of those things, you know. And then everybody's shouting from a distance, here he comes, he's, roll out that red carpet, shine that spotlight. And then he comes in and says, I'm very happy to be on the Philip Morris program tonight. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it was just hilarious the way... They they did all that the big build up and he, <laughs> I just I just love the banter that he has with Fred uh, yeah. all the way through that and it's just terrific and then in the second one it he's older he's you know a little more jaded I imagine he's not the wonder kid anymore but he's still a big star and so that the two of them have a, a lot of fun uh, bantering back and forth and um, then they. In both, of course, they do the Les Mis. And it's so interesting to see how they they led up to it, how they introduced it. It, it. It's a little bit, just a little bit different each time. But then, you may not know this, but Orson Welles, before he became the big name, did a, his own uh, adaptation of Les Miserables that was like seven episodes long in 1937. This was before Mercury Theater of the Air, before the War of the Worlds. This was a full year before that and he was like 22 years old and he had created this wonderful adaptation of Les Mis so he's forever linked with that and then they bring it where so when he comes into it he's well he played Jean Valjean and and all of those as well so it's natural for uh Fred Allen to play Javert but the way he 
<laughs> you know, I, I've listened to it dozens and dozens of times since the eighties. <laughs> right now, I'm thinking about it, and I just I can't. I can barely talk because I'm laughing so hard. It's just <laughs> the way Fred complains that he didn't say anything, and then Orson comes in and said, "The way you." <laughs> blew that whistle yeah. the way you, my god i've worked with dozens <laughs> of people doing that role and no man. one got the emotion out of the whistle like you did even oh. though there was a sound effect man who did it fred fred seems to buy it that it was you know, oh. how he blew that whistle so uh it's just a wonderful thing where fred is just in on the gag and he's he's pretending to complain and orson's doing his his over-the-top bit and it's just wonderful each time. And and so I love that, but I also love the Allen's Alley and and all of the other bits. And and then when Portland comes out in the first one in the four, 1942, and she's Orson Wells and she screams and faints and and, and Orson says, What's, What's the matter with, with that, that child? child? <laughs> and Portland is probably 40 by this time. Right. Right. In real life. The beauty of radio. <laughs> yeah, the miracle of radio. So uh, overall, just a laugh riot for both of them. I think I prefer the first one to the second one because it's fresher and, and they really play up the the Wonder Kid thing and so on. But uh, both of them are really, really terrific. Uh, and that's and that's why I brought it to you today. And you're a gentleman for doing so. <laughs> I Now, my tenure here on OTRE... Uh, uh, is certainly not as long as yours. Uh, but so this is kind of like my first real variety show being showcased and featured uh, to be discussed, uh, which is which is really kind of cool. I, I got a big kick about when Portland came out, the audience claps and it's like, yay, it's Portland. Here is here is a set piece of this show that we see day after or week after week after week. And and we love seeing her and and these cornerstones of you know the 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 Allen's Alley uh, uh, bit and everybody just you can hear the audience moving to the edge of their seat going oh boy Allen's Alley and just this sense of this variety show which honestly the whole okay I have many thoughts here I'm going to try and consolidate them <laughs> but I, I noticed that there are four years. For years between the first episode and the second episode, mm-hmm. in a time when there were no DVRs or VCRs or even publicly accessible recorders, convenient recorders, nobody was sitting in front of their radio recording episodes of right. their favorite radio. The way we shows. did when we were kids. Exactly. So the notion that you can skip four years of time roll out the same gags and they were oh, the same gags yeah and everybody well maybe not everybody but most everybody in the show knows exactly what you're talking about remembers it all and and delights in the reprisal of something that happened that you didn't you haven't heard for 4 years kind of really blows my mind and you're talking about Orson Welles's career starting 5 years before the 1942 episode. Mm-hmm. Think about where we were 10 years ago in terms of media and entertainment. We didn't have streaming services. We were just rolling into the internet hoo-ha. I mean, 
Well, there was Napster, I think. Yeah, right. Oh, Napster. Actually, I think, <laughs> which yeah, I never yeah. used. There's Bear Share. No, that was before that. It, Napster was even before that. The, the thing is, is that media and entertainment moved much more slowly. The evolution and the change uh, uh, and, and the compulsion to change and stay on top of things was so spread out over this old time radio format. Yeah. That you can literally jump in, you know, at one point and then skip seven, eight years and feel like you really haven't skipped a beat. That that the same tone, the same banter, and yes, you're right. The banter between these guys is masterful. Uh, even the 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 stage breaks where they crack each other up a little bit. You know, they're in there and they do that on purpose. Some of that I'm sure is impromptu and ad libbed, and some of it is you know I've I've done stage work. I know what a stage stage break <laughs> is, and and those things aren't always. Uh, 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 spontaneous or improvisational, but they're still fun. Yeah, and 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 and, and Wells was well known as a dramatic actor, but he could do comedy great like comic nobody's sense. business. He he really yes. had that timing down pat. It was wonderful. Absolutely. So this is this was a real. It got me thinking a lot about the 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 very unique nature of not just these two shows, but this whole span of time that this show embraces where you can hop in across decades and the changes are very subtle and, and very minute. And, and a show like this gives you a chance to actually explore those, which I think is very cool. Yeah. The, well, and as you're saying, in that time frame, they're still recording everything onto the, the discs, right. um, 78 RPM or 16 RPM for the, for the Possibly longer shows. Wire. Uh, <laughs> wire recorders. <laughs> God, <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing the Flintstones. Ball. Damn, <laughs> get, get the, the toucan the down there with his tail. <laughs> Played by a, a long beaked bird. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, what about you, Paul? It was Orson Welles again. <laughs> we only have him once a year. <laughs> it seems like more often than that. I don't know why, Pete, but it just seems more. I was like, oh, well, it's here Orson we go. Wells, it's Orson All right, well, Wells compared to last year when we did Shakespeare, and you complained about that too. I remember that. I remember that very distinctly. That was oh, your yeah. first episode with us. Well, a little, little long hair. Uh, no, there are good episodes. I haven't listened to a whole buttload of Fred Allen before. And I listened to these and I continued on listening to Fred Allen and I like Fred Allen. He's very good, but I prefer Benny. I think Benny, uh, I, the, the sound of his voice and listening to that episode after episode, I can listen to that more than I can Fred. Okay. But they're both very good. Um, you know, with Rochester in there is his foil so much versus Fred, you know, he didn't have as much of a foil as Benny did. But I mean, well, no, that uh, wasn't his style, though. His style right. was well, really, I think Fred Allen was more with topical humor uh, because he he did like a, a summary of the news um, and, and news of the day, question of the question of the week, and so on. Um, so I mean, they're completely different uh, comedians, styles, right? Yeah. But uh, no, it was very, it was hilarious. And <laughs> it's so funny how 
over the top. They did the whole Orson Welles. Oh my God, we got to test the air. We need the, <laughs> here's this person to test the microphone. This you, is Mr. You know, personal we, microphone. If the acoustics in here aren't quite right, you might have to tear down part of the studio before Hello, you show Hello, Hello, I love the description of his doorbell with, with the 21 guns and the pe- peacocks flying out of the transom and the, and the this and the that and the other. This is the doorbell at Orson's house. And then yeah. he appears out of four doors at once. Simultaneously, yes. <laughs> I love I love. He just steps outside, says, "Grow." <laughs> four acres of corn pop out of the ground. <laughs> when he went into the uh, crap, what do they call it? The uh, um, uh, uh, automat. Yeah, he, go, he goes open. into the automatic open, and all the doors open. <laughs> Nominal cosmic power. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun to listen to Orson because how he has his foot on the gas pedal of delivering a line. And that boy can go from zero to 120 in about a quarter of a second. You know? Well, give us, for instance. Well, uh, to do it dramatically, he'd be a, I'm Jean Valjean and uh, and suddenly he's just bellowing <laughs> dead serious in the way he does it and you're like whoa without kind of, coughing yeah it's kind of blows good. your hair back a little bit <laughs> i'm not used to doing being that loud anymore my children are grown up and moved out so i don't have to yell like <laughs> <I used> to. <laughs> that's why you work with microphones project project so i mean yeah i i thought that was really cool it's like listening to him and say, oh, yeah, now there's a guy who could really act the crap out of something because he can, just in that little bit that he was doing on the Fred Allen show, the way he could say something so dramatically, and just kind of just blow the walls apart with, with, you know, his delivery on something. You're like, holy crap, this guy really is serious. Classical and- theatrical training carries you a long damn way. Yeah. <laughs> True facts. <laughs> But, yep, I I enjoy that. And then, like I said, the the contrast between him and Fred. And like you were saying before about, he was just, and he sounded so sincere whenever he was telling Fred, Fred, you just blew me out of that scene. You know, I didn't stand a chance against you in that scene. You know, I've I've done this scene a hundred times before, and I heard no one who could get that essence out of the police whistle. (laughs) <laughs> Classical theatrical training will carry you a long way. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love Fred's attitude. It's like, really? You liked it? <laughs> Are you sure? You liked me. You really you didn't say me. anything. Are you sure? Funny. But yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Let's vote. What are we voting on, dear listener? As a reminder, we are voting on one. Whether this particular episode is a true representative installment of the overall series and b (laughs) whether or not it is a standalone show that belongs in every radio aficionados collection and again pete since this was your selection you go first thank you thank you thank you okay wait let's let's check the mic let's let's check his mic is the air okay is the air good okay Check hello, one, two. hello, hello, Max. Hello, hello Max. Woof, woof. Hello, one, two, two. one, two, woof, woof. Hello, Max. One, two, <laughs> woof, woof. Hello, Max. 
Okay, you're good. good. You're good, Pete. You're good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be on the <laughs> Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> so, I do believe that this is a true representative installment of the overall series. Fred Allen was hilarious. This was hilarious. Both of them um, with the Allen's Alley and the topical jokes and the way everything uh, wound up. The music was, you know, pretty good. The uh, DeMarco sisters. Now, I don't know with the DeMarco sisters, they were like a low budget Andrew sisters in a way to me. That's my opinion. And whenever they had those long harmonious notes that were extended, it always seemed like somebody went flat. (laughs) And I've listened to enough of them that back in the early days when I was listening to stuff, I thought maybe it was a, a bad recording and it kind of, maybe the tape got stretched. And so the sound like, nah. uh, but, but no, I've listened to enough of them to know that somebody always went flat. One of the sisters didn't hold that note the way she was supposed to, but this isn't the DeMarco sister show. It's a Fred That's Allen right. show. So you, you right. can overlook that stuff. So um, I do believe that both of them are representative installments. Sorry for my, I've got a cold. <laughs> my voice squeaks. Sorry about that. And, Either one of these or both are standalone shows. I mean, they're they're perfectly executed from beginning to end and hilarious all the way through. So yes, absolutely, it belongs in, in your collection if you like this sort of thing. <laughs> Not that I want to qualify anything, but you know, if you don't like comedy, if you don't like to laugh, then don't collect it. If you don't like to laugh, you're probably not listening to the podcast anyway. So I probably, think we're good. I think we're good. I I will say, I will say instantly, I will say yes and yes to one and B. B, that would be B, Dave. B. B. Because. (laughs) Let's get it straight, Dave. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, uh, I have not listened to a lot of Fred Allen. However, the fact that we had two shows four years apart and both of them were stellar, solid radio productions all the way throughout. I can only assume that these are truly representative installments of the overall series, just by virtue of the fact that these two from such a long distance apart uh, sound so consistent with each other. And for that reason, the same reason, for that same reason, I say, yes, it belongs in, I think they both belong bookended into any aficionado's collection for that same exact reason. I agree. Hear the reprisal of a shtick from four years previous to hear it again. Orson Welles, of course. I mean, that's dude's an icon as it is. So yeah, for all of those reasons, yes and yes. Groovy. How about you, Paulie? I will also vote yes and yes for this. We have an accord. I know. I know. Going against the grain. I usually go (laughs) against you guys. But no, I like Fred. Fred's hilarious. Orson. You know, for the person who could be so overblown if he wanted to be, he was very down to earth and their sparring was awesome. <laughs> and there were just a couple of really good episodes and I can pretty much, you know, I have listened to some Fred Allen, not as much as I would like, because I just don't have that kind of time, but <laughs> it is, it's indicative of what his episodes are like, which is a good thing. And I think everyone should have, 
Fred Allen in their collection, right next to their Jack Benny. Very good. If anything, they could even get like <laughs> a deck them, of cards. Let them fight each other. Shuffle yeah. So they're, they're you know intertwined like that. So you that would be a cool thing is if I had that kind of time to sit there and listen to the Jack Benny episode, then the Fred Allen one, go chronologically. Ooh. You know, when the feud started. Yeah. And just listen to the jabs as they go along. That would be an intriguing compilation. Every time I walk into my listening room, the CDs for Jack Benny and Fred Allen have knocked each other off the shelves. I don't. (laughs) They just don't get along. Brutal. Brutal. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, two thumbs up. Excellent. Outstanding. Well, folks. This brings us to the end of episode 38, an accord between the three of us, a rare accord between the three of us. Uh, Episode 38, or if you're tuning in from Earth 536 in the parallel universe, (laughs) episode one of season four with Paul Arbisi, Pete Lutz, and me, Dave Robison. And gentlemen, with this episode, I must reveal some bad news to our listeners. I've been dreading this. Dave, if it ain't bad news to our listeners, it's definitely bad news for me and probably Paul if he's paying attention. <laughs> what? What? Yes. There we go. No. There we go. <laughs> it <laughs> is just break, break it. Don't, don't sugarcoat it, Dave. What's going I, on? <laughs> I, I, I am, I am stepping away from the old time radio essentials microphone. I am, I am vacating my co-host seat for the next honored and distinguished individual who can come and put their butt cheeks right here on this seat uh, that I have so delightfully occupied uh, for for so many episodes. This has been a true delight, guys. I have, I, I've been in radio. I've done audio drama. I, I did three seasons of audio drama back in Colorado, back in the early 2000s. I love this stuff. So the opportunity not only to hear this stuff, but hear a curated list from you guys and then be able to talk about it and explore the nuances of it and, and share in the joy of it, that, that's a rare gift. That's a treat. And I, and, I, and I am deeply grateful for the opportunity. But life has gotten busy since moving to Portland. Uh, uh, professionally, things are picking up. Socially, holy smokes, things have picked up dramatically. <laughs> Uh, so you I'm lucky guy. You, I am. I, I consider know. myself. I, have, a, a, I a, have no idea what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> he's got I himself can, a sweetheart. I consider myself blessed on many, many levels in many ways. And it's been, uh, it's, it's been a roller coaster ride, but it also means that something's got to give. And, and sadly, I must, I must bid you both a fond adieu. Kicking us to the curb. No, I'm not kicking nobody to the curb. It's it's with it's with a it's with a, a weeping heart that I step away. I tell you. <sighs> oh, stop. We're gonna miss stop. you, man. Yeah, well, that's very sweet. But until you get the next guy or girl or person, the next person to come in and 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 fill this seat and continue this ongoing exploration of of audio drama, radio drama, radio theater goodness. We yeah, must go on. We must. Funny that you mentioned that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Orson Welles coming yeah. in. We've resurrected Orson Welles. Back. 
It's amazing what happens when you get a microphone close to a Ouija board. Uh, oh, no, it's chat GPT. It's an AI. <laughs> it's an Orson Welles AI that we've been training for years. And now it's ready to, to step in. Yeah, I don't do you think the AI that. is advanced enough to handle Orson Welles? Believe it. <laughs> well, we're definitely going to miss you. And thanks for all the, the, the fun times, the great laughs. It's just been a treat having you as part of the team, Dave. So thanks, man. Thank you. And your, your eloquence will not be forgotten. Oh, well, it's radio, buttery man so voice. It's, it's recorded. Yes. So he can just play That's it back right. over and over again. If you miss Dave, <laughs> just listen to any of the episodes of season three. The way you used to wax lyrically about the noir language oh, and God, yes. he, just, he just loved a good noir oh my goodness yes he did and i love the way he pronounces it it's two syllables noir yes so i say i say so noir. Tell me, dave. noir 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 so tell me dave what's your noir. favorite wine my favorite wine wine pinot, pinot noir, noir. <laughs> pinot noir <laughs> <laughs> of course what and else? Now, I like now. a good sangria. <laughs> Ripple. <A> nice <laughs> Ripple. Good, good old cold duck. MD 2020. <laughs> Fireball. I think we got uh, sidetracked. Yeah, we did. So let's bring it back to the show. And now, for old time's sake, Dave, Paul, tell the masses one last time, Dave, what they need to know. Old Time Radio Essentials is a product of 63 Audio, a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network. Subscribe on any podcatcher you may use by searching under Mutual Audio Network and slash or Narada Radio Company. Please follow us on the Twitter at Essentials Old and join our Facebook group, Narada Radio Company Productions, to get updates on upcoming episodes of this show plus future audio dramas. If you want to suggest an episode, write us at f6.3 at gmail.com. That's the letter F, the number six, the word point, and the number three at gmail.com. Put the word essentials in the subject line. Remember, folks, we're, we're always happy. I'm always happy. We're always happy to hear from our listeners. We're so happy. <laughs> so Except please do send us feedback and suggestions. And if you didn't catch our email when Paul spelled it out so beautifully, rewind and listen again, or just look for it in the show notes. Okay, I think we've wasted enough of these fine people's time, so let's wrap things up. Hey, thanks, Paulie. Dave, good luck, and you're welcome back anytime, my friend. Thank you, and sir. Folks, <clears throat> folks, Paul and I will be back again, so keep listening. And next time, we'll be introducing our new third co-host, Pat Rosebank. Oh. Please, please join us then, won't you, for another fun installment of Old Time Radio Essentials. Bye-bye for now. Adios. You haven't gotten rid of us yet. <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back. Get that guy Robinson out of here. Get <laughs> that bum out the door. Or as we've learned how to say over the years, Pete, next. <laughs> <laughs>
he make his voice do that? I don't know, but I got goosey pimpled. <laughs> chills, chills. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Governments throughout the world have been working around the clock to get more information about just how this event that we call the incident actually occurred. We're all just trying to have a nice family. What, what was that? We recently discovered evidence that all of this, the incident, the pulse, word Nisha, was from a shadowy group that calls itself Cypher. We must maintain our power at all costs! The crisis is real. There's only one demographic who remained unaffected. Who? Kids. Ah! All right, let's see what this baby can do! They're stealing the whole dark castle! But Kubo's, we're gonna die! Season 1, available now.